Genesis 9, verse 8 through 17. Then God said to Noah and to his sons with him, Behold, I establish my covenant with you and your offspring after you, and with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the livestock, and every beast of the earth with you, as many as came out of the ark. It is for every beast of the earth. I establish my covenant with you, that never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood, and never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, this is the sign of the covenant that I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for all future generations. I have set my bow in the cloud and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. When I bring clouds over the earth and the bow is seen in the clouds, I will remember my covenant that is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. And the waters shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. When the bow is in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant that I have established between me and all flesh that is on the earth. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your presence for your protection, Lord. We thank you for your word. We thank you for this confidence, God, that you are not against this world. You are for this world. You are for life. You are for protection. You are for freedom, Lord. You are for your people. And if you are for us, then who can be against us? God, I pray that as we look at this text today, God, we're coming in with all kinds of experiences this last week, all kinds of thoughts and feelings and emotions about you, who you are, what you've done, what you might possibly have to do with me. And Lord, sometimes we can be so overwhelmed by fear that you are just standing at the ready, lightning bolt in hand, ready to strike us for any uh, uh, wrong remark or action, Lord, but that's not what this says. God, this says that you are for peace. And so, God, I pray that we would experience the peace that only you can bring, Lord, ultimately the peace that comes by the blood of Christ. I pray that we would experience that kind of peace today. And so teach us, Lord, fill us with peace. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, I've had the opportunity as a pastor to officiate countless weddings. And I love weddings. It's, it's uh, one of the most incredible days in the life of a bride and a groom. And I love all of the symbolism that exists in weddings, all the opportunity that we have to look at these two who are becoming one and see these spiritual uh, symbols pointing us to a, a greater reality. And one of my favorite aspects of the wedding ceremony is the exchange of rings. The exchange of a wedding ring is packed full of meaning and symbolism. Uh, maybe you've heard at a wedding or maybe you've in conversation or read that all of the ways a, a wedding ring is supposed to represent, you know, its, it's circular nature is supposed to represent the, the never-ending, unbroken, continuous love between a bride or a groom. Or maybe you've heard that it's made of precious metal because a, a bride and a groom are precious 
in the eyes of one another. But my favorite aspect of the wedding ring is that it's a picture of an exchange. A bride and groom give one another a ring as a sign of them giving their lives to one another. And every time they're supposed to, every time they look at the ring, or if you're not used to wearing rings and you remember your wedding day, it was kind of funny having that piece of metal on your hand. It reminded you, it was supposed to remind you of the promises made on that day. It's supposed to remind you of the fact that not only does your life not belong to you anymore, but you are now responsible to look after not only your own interests, but the interests of your spouse. A wedding ring is a beautiful symbol. Now, a wedding ring doesn't make you married. You walk around with a wedding ring on that finger. It doesn't mean that you are married, but it is a sign to you, to your spouse, and to the community around you. If you are married, it's a sign to them that you are off the market. You have already given your life to somebody else. You're off the market, and so back off. It's a sign, a symbol. It's a sign of the marriage covenant. See, the Bible is full of this idea of covenant. We don't have many examples of covenant in 21st century Western culture, but marriage is this covenant that we continue to honor, we continue to celebrate, even in our world so far removed from the ancient context. But covenants were an extremely important part of society in the ancient world. A covenant is a binding relationship between two parties based on promises made under oath. It's a binding relationship that are based in promises made under oath. Think about a wedding. It's a binding relationship between two parties based on promises to love one another, to be faithful to one another, to forsake all others. And it is done before God and one another, this promise, this oath of fidelity. And covenants in the ancient context, they came with a sign, a physical reminder of that binding relationship, and a reminder of the promises that were made. Sometimes we see this in Scripture. Sometimes that sign of the covenant was a physical monument or a pillar that was erected on the border between two nations so that if anyone from one nation sought to cross that border to do harm to the other nations, they would see the sign and remember, oh, that's right. We have promised faithfulness. We have promised loyalty. We have promised to be allies, not to be enemies. And so it was a physical reminder of the partnership, the covenant that was made. In our passage today, God makes a covenant. We talk about it as a covenant with Noah, or sometimes we hear it as the Noahic covenant. But God makes a covenant with the earth. How many times did we read in that passage, my covenant between me and all flesh on the earth, every beast of all flesh, repeated several times. This is a covenant that God makes with all of creation. It's not just Noah and his family. It's not even just humans. God makes this covenant with all of life. And the covenant commitment that God makes is to never bring destruction on the earth as he had done 
in the flood that we have been studying previous in previous weeks. And so God gives them the sign of this covenant, the rainbow. The rainbow is God's sign of the covenant to him, to all of creation, that when the rainbow appears in the clouds, it was to be a reminder. Now, we kind of get bent out of shape sometimes when we read like God goes, anytime I see the rainbow, I'll remember my covenant and I won't bring a flood on the earth. And so we read that sometimes when we're like, does God forget? Does, does God like get angry sometimes and like he starts to bring the storm clouds and then he sees the rainbow and he's like, ah, oh, shucks. No, uh, for God to remember, just like for you to remember, right? When you see your wedding ring or when you see somebody else's wedding ring, you don't, you didn't just forget that you were married, but it puts that reality front and center in your mind. God does not forget his covenant with creation. He does not forget his covenant with you. But when he sees the sign of the covenant, it puts it front and center before God and before us. And we remember, we recall the promises. We recall God's goodness. We recall in that moment what God wants us to remember. Today, the rainbow doesn't always mean what God intends it to mean, but today we are going to look at this sign that God has given the world, and I hope that we will allow it to remind us to be a reminder of what God has designed it to be. And so specifically, the rainbow is a reminder of three things. First, the rainbow reminds us of the consequences of sin. Because the rainbow reminds us of a story. doesn't just remind us of a fact. doesn't, doesn't just remind us that, uh, you know, that, 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 that God said he would never destroy the earth again in, in a flood. It reminds us of the whole story. The rainbow reminds us of the story of God and what has happened in Genesis up until now. We've been studying this story. And if you remember, humanity was so corrupted was so wicked, even at a fundamental level, these spiritual beings called the sons of God who were trying to fundamentally corrupt humanity at such a degree that they would have been beyond redemption if God didn't do something about it. And so it reminds us of the wickedness that we are capable of. And so the rainbow reminds us of this reset button that God pushes and says, whoa, 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 humanity needs a new start. We We need to fix what has gone wrong unless they be totally unredeemable. And so if we should forget whether or not God takes sin seriously, the rainbow is a reminder that yes, he does. He takes sin Seriously, even if he doesn't smite us while we are in the act, the rainbow is a reminder that God's patience with us in our sin is never to be understood as permission to sin. Just because we may seem like in our lives we are getting away with it, maybe we might feel like we're getting away with it our entire lives. God's patience with you, his kindness towards you, his mercy toward you is never permission to persist in rebellion. 
Romans 6.23 says that the wages of sin is death. Somebody's wages are what they have earned. It's what they deserve for work done. And so the Apostle Paul in the book of Romans says that what we deserve, what we have earned for ourselves because of our sin is actually death. It's what we deserve. Now, we don't like talking about sin in our culture. We certainly don't like talking about sin deserving death. But when we do talk about sin, it's often tongue in cheek. Like when we talk about Las Vegas, sin city. It's this, it's, it's, it's not talked about in terms of this like really awful, terrible rebellion against God that's deserving of death. We talk about it as in like these like guilty pleasures that stay in Vegas. You know, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas, which has literally never been true. Not one time has that ever been true. But sin simply means to miss the mark. Okay, sin is missing the mark, like target shooting. Okay, you missed what you were aiming for. Now, I'm taking two of my sons next weekend uh, to complete their hunter's safety certification. And so we have been practicing at our house with a, a pellet gun, gun safety, and, and doing a little bit of target shooting. Now, the, the, the pellet gun that we have and, and the scope that's on it, it's, it's not anything fantastic. And no matter how many times I try to dial it in or sight it in, it's just not consistent. You can aim it direct and it will constantly miss the mark. Okay, it's always missing the mark. We too, like, like broken arrows, like, like crooked arrows, we, though we are aimed directly at the target, we will continue to miss the mark. Look, we miss the mark that we set for ourselves. Okay, we, we miss the kind of life that we're trying to create for ourselves, the kind of morality that we think we should have. We miss the mark that we set for ourselves. We sin against our own moral standard. This, every single time you say in life that somebody should do this or somebody ought to do that, you are dialing in this little target. This is the bullseye. This is where you should hit and you ought not hit here. You should not hit here. This is what you ought to do. You are making a moral statement. You are painting a target for yourself. And every time you make that statement that somebody else ought to do this or should do that, When we think about our own lives, how often do we not do the things that we ought to do, that we, that we should do, that we know are right? We miss the mark that we create for ourselves. But God has given us a mark. God has painted a target for humanity. God made humanity for a purpose. We were made in his image and likeness, and we were given the responsibility to put on display God's moral integrity, God's character. We were, we were made to show the world what God is like by the way that we live. 
That's the target. That's the mark. Righteousness, moral perfection, self-sacrificial love, covenant faithfulness. That is the mark that God has painted for humanity. This is the target our lives are aiming for. But because of brokenness, because of internal inconsistencies or outright rebellion, we miss the mark. We miss the marks that we create for ourselves. We can't hit the marks that we tell others that they ought to hit. And we miss the mark that God has painted for us, even if we're aiming right at it. And we want to pursue that thing. We find ourselves so often failing to do the thing that we even want to do. And so anytime we do something that does not accurately reflect the character of God, we miss the mark. Anytime we, by our actions or by our words, anytime we show the world that God is something different than Scripture actually says He is, we miss the mark. And so the reason sin, the reason missing the mark is so bad is because it slanders God's character. You were made in God's image to put that image on display. And when you put a false image on display, it is lying about God's character. It's telling others, whether consciously or not, that God is different than he is. And so the reason it is so awful is because it damages God's reputation. This is significant for the church because in the world, what is the number one complaint that people have about Christians? You're all hypocrites. All of you, every last one of you. That's, that's the perspective. Why? Because you say that God is like this and yet we miss the mark we continue to miss the mark. Look, we're not Christians because we think we're perfect. Okay, we're Christians because Christ is perfect and we follow him. We want to hit that mark. We fail to hit the mark, but thanks be to God in Christ Jesus that he has grace and his blood covers our sins and gives us new life. This is why there are consequences for sin because when sin and violence go unchecked, God has to intervene. He is protecting his reputation. God is guarding his reputation. He must not be slandered. He must not be mocked. God protects his reputation by correcting the sin in his image bearers. But the, rema- the, the rainbow is a reminder that rather than responding to sin on a global scale as he did in the flood, God will pursue justice on a case-by-case basis. See, that's one of the things that happens in the flood. When God took out, uh, uh, or or rather when God uh, gave the penalty for sin on the whole world, he says, hey, I'm not going to do this anymore. I'm not going to, uh, to destroy the earth as I did in the flood, but he is going to enact it on a case-by-case basis. We actually saw this in the text that we studied last Sunday, when God says, if anyone sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. That uh, discipline, that penalty for the sin of murder would then be expanded in the Old Testament law, and God would tell Moses, 
take eye for eye, tooth for tooth, wound for wound, burn for burn. God is giving humanity the power to enact a system of justice based on penalties that fit the crime. Okay? And the reason in, he's doing that is to deter and, and to restrain sin in the world. If there is a penalty for sin, if there's a penalty for murder, if there's no penalty for murder, it's going to happen a lot more. If there's no consequence for sin, then sin runs rampant. And so God establishes this justice system based on case-by-case uh, uh, circumstances in order to preserve the world from becoming so corrupt as it did before the flood, where he would have to take global, uh, take matters to a global scale once again. And so God is promising not to destroy the earth as he has done, but gives humans the opportunity to pursue justice on a case-by-case scale. And so the rainbow um, is not a sign to the world that anything goes. It's not some banner that we hang over our, our sin, over our rebellion, and believe that God can't touch me. I can do whatever I want. It's a reminder that there are consequences to sin. It points back to the story of God's penalty for sin. When he flooded the earth, it's a reminder of how much God hates sin. And yet his remind, a reminder of his commitment to rid the world of sin. But the rainbow is not intended to, to strike fear into our hearts just because of the consequences of sin, as if it's only a sign of God's judgment. It's a beautiful symbol of hope because it's also a reminder of the covenant of peace. The rainbow reminds us of the consequences of sin. It reminds us of the covenant of peace. Now listen, peace is an absence of warfare. Okay, even when we talk about it in our culture, most often when we talk about peace, we think of an internal disposition of like tranquility, right? It's still, it is an absence of turmoil. It is an absence of inner conflict. Peace is an absence of warfare. And so God describes the rainbow in the clouds as a bow that a warrior hangs up when he returns from battle. God is no longer at war with the world. He has made a covenant of peace. God has promised to relate to the world in peace. Now, this concept may seem familiar in certain contexts in our culture, because many people in our culture uh, believe that God is some in impersonal force like uh, like the universe or, or mother nature. And so they think, of course, God is at peace with creation because they fail to make a distinction between God and creation. See, they look at the world and they see the divine in everything. And so to talk about God being at peace with the world, of course, God is at peace with the world. God is the world. But that's not what the scriptures say. 
Okay, this idea of peace with God would have been groundbreaking in the ancient world. The ancient world believed that humanity served as slaves to the gods and that they were constantly needing to appease the gods in order to keep them from striking down humanity. We've talked about an ancient text a couple of times in the last several weeks, the Epic of Gilgamesh. In the the Epic of Gilgamesh, which is this Mesopotamian uh, mythology, there is also a flood narrative. And God floods the earth, or the gods decide to flood the earth because of the noise of humanity. They cannot rest because of humanity's sin and violence. So in an act of anger, they wipe out humanity, but they realize, uh uh-oh, who's going to feed us? If we wipe out the humans, who's going to feed us? And then there is a man who escapes the flood. And on the other side of the flood, he makes a sacrifice to appease the gods. And it says that the gods swarmed on the sacrifice like flies. They're famished. They're starving. And so they decide never to flood the earth again. And they put the rainbow in the sky to remind them, don't do it. I know you want to but don't do it. Somebody has to feed you. But then in the scriptures, that story is corrected. No, it's not out of any need that God has that he doesn't destroy humanity. It's because of the love that God has that he doesn't destroy humanity. Side note, there are tons of flood stories in all kinds of ancient cultures. Guess why? Because it happened. It happened. And all of these ancient cultures have taken parts of this story, parts of this story that has been passed down from their ancestors and has taken different turns with it based on the things that they want to teach. But scripture sets the record straight. God doesn't need your sacrifice. God doesn't need what you think you're giving him. But it's because of love that he loves you. It's because of faithfulness, because of his covenant that he is committed to you. And so God is hanging up his bow. God's hanging up his weapon like a warrior returning from battle. God is at peace with the world. Now, listen to me. I want to make this very personal. God is is not against you. Okay, if you're a Christian, you know this intellectually. Sometimes it doesn't feel like that. Sometimes when you are aware of your sin, you feel like God is out to get you. God is not out to get you. If you're here and you're not a Christian, this covenant was made with the earth, Noah and all of his descendants that covenant of peace, whether you acknowledge God's existence or not in this life, God is not out to get you. God is not just looking for ways to strike you down. Okay, God is at peace with the world. He is not at war with you. He is at war with your sin. Okay, God does hate sin. He is not at war with you. He is at war with your sin, the sin that is destroying you. See, what we often want 
in life is peace in our sin. God, I want to live how I want to live, and I want peace about it. But God wants to give you peace from your sin. So he is at war with your sin. But if you continue to cling to your sin, if you continue to cling to the brokenness that causes you to miss the mark that God has painted for you, that target that he has given humanity, if you continue to cling to your sin and your desire more than you cling to peace with God, then God's war against your sin will feel personal. It will feel like loss. It will feel like anxiety. It will feel like fear. It will feel like death because you have made your identity in this thing and God's trying to take it away. It's for your good, but it feels painful. So then how do we deal with this? How do we deal with the sin in our lives in order to experience that peace with God to a greater degree? How is peace possible when so much of the world and our own hearts are at war with God and his purposes? That's essentially what it is. Clinging to sin is, God, I know this is the target. I know that's where you want me to go. But I don't want to go there. I want this over here. I want to go that direction. Well, again, I want us to look back to the rainbow. The rainbow doesn't only point back to the consequences of sin, doesn't only point to the covenant of peace. It also reminds us of the cross of Jesus Christ. I want to read an excerpt from a book that we have at the book table. It's one of my favorite books of all time. I have wept in the pages of this book time and time again. It's the Jesus Storybook Bible. It's talking about this very passage. And there in the clouds, just where the storm meets the sun, was a beautiful bow made of light. It was a new beginning in God's world. It wasn't long before everything went wrong again, but God wasn't surprised. He knew this would happen. But that's why before the beginning of time, he had another plan, a better plan. A plan not to destroy the world, but to rescue it. A plan to one day send his own son, the rescuer. God's strong anger against hate and sadness and death would come down once more, but not on his people or his world. No, God's war bow was not pointing down at his people. It was pointing up into the heart of heaven. See, our sin makes war with God, but God does not make war with you. And yet he does fight back. God does fight back against the strong anger and hate and sin in the world. He fights against sin. He fights against Satan. He fights against death. See, Jesus is the only one who never missed the mark. Jesus is the only one who spent his entire life warring against sin and being victorious over it so that his life hits the bullseye. He fulfills the law. He was faithful to God completely. Jesus never missed 
the mark. And yet he took upon himself the consequences of all our sin and failure. There are consequences for your sin, but you don't have to experience them because Jesus has taken them from you. His life never missed the mark. And he receives the penalty as though he did. In order to give us peace with God, listen to Colossians 1, 19 through 23. For in him, speaking of Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you have heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven. Because of the cross of Jesus Christ, you and I, who were once alienated, hostile in mind toward God, can have our sin forgiven and be given peace with God. And so Hebrews 9.15 says that Jesus is a mediator of a new covenant. Not a covenant that is made to Noah and to all of the earth, but a covenant that is made with every single person, regardless of ethnicity, regardless of gender, regardless of anything you have done in life or anything that has been done to you in life. God invites you into a covenant relationship with himself through Jesus. He accomplishes a new relationship with us based on what he has done for us, not what you can do for him. See, if you want peace with God, yes, he has called you to hit the mark. But if you want peace with God, you don't have to keep shooting over and over and over again until you hit the mark. You have the the bullseye has been hit for you in Christ. You have been united to him. And so all of his righteousness is applied to you. All of your sin is applied to him. He suffers the penalty for your sin and you get the reward for his righteousness. You have been set free from sin and given the Holy Spirit and empowered to live a life of righteousness. This doesn't mean that you get it right all the time, but it means that when you fail, There is forgiveness. There is grace. Because Christ's sacrifice was once and for all. The beautiful thing is that he's given us a sign of this new covenant. As the rainbow is a sign that God will never again destroy the earth, those who are in Christ are given a sign of this new covenant. So while the, the presence of the Holy Spirit reminds us of God's presence with us. And the Lord's Supper that we celebrate every Sunday here at the, at the front of the stage, the bread and the cup, they are reminders of truths about God. Traditionally, the church has looked at baptism as the sign of the new covenant in Christ. 
Baptism is like the rainbow. It reminds us of new life that we have in God's promises. It is a sign to you and to the community of faith. When we see your baptism, it is a sign that the old life has passed away and the new life has come. It is a sign that you are no longer partakers of the kingdom of darkness, but that you have been made children of the kingdom of God. It is a sign both to you for the rest of your life as you look back on baptism. It is a reminder, not that you would have forgotten your salvation, but it puts it front and center in your mind. It is a reminder of what God has done for you, that in Christ your sin is dead, but you are alive to Christ Jesus. It's a reminder that you are a member of God's covenant people. Your sins are forgiven. You are given new life and you live in a new alliance with God under the promises that he has made to be faithful to you. Listen, I love a rainbow. There's never been a person in the entire world who heard there was a rainbow outside and not gone out to look at it. They're beautiful. Baptism is better than rainbows. Hashtag it, post it, tweet it. Baptism is better than rainbows. It's a better sign of God's promises. It's a better sign of the new life that we have in Christ. Baptism is a better sign to you of the eternal life that you have in Christ. Baptism is a better sign of God's patient endurance passing over your sins. Baptism is a better sign of the power of God within you to live a life that glorifies him. Baptism is better than rainbows. And we're celebrating baptisms next week. Isn't it amazing that God gave us this text today just as we're going through the scriptures For all of you who have put your faith in Jesus, not only to look upon the baptisms that we're going to celebrate next week and remember God's covenant promises, but for those of you who have put your faith in Jesus and have not yet been baptized, guess what? Next Sunday is the day. See you there. It's going to be awesome. If you're here and you've trusted in Jesus and you've never been baptized, God wants to give you a sign of a better covenant of a better life, a better forgiveness, a better grace. A life that is covered in the cleansing, forgiving, grace-giving blood of Jesus. See, baptism is a sign of the new covenant because it is a sign that you have been united to Jesus. When Jesus died and went into the grave, your baptism is a picture of you being with Christ United to him on the cross who died, you go into the grave, under the water, symbolically representing that with Christ, you were in the tomb with him. But then you are pulled out of the waters as a sign of being pulled out of death and raised to new life. It is an outward sign. It is a symbol. It is a picture. But it is a picture of a spiritual reality that you are dead to sin and alive to Jesus. And Jesus told his disciples, go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, give them this sign, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teach them to obey all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you 
even to the end of the age. And so listen, if you're here and you call yourself a Christian and you have not been baptized, what's stopping you? We're going to teach more specifically on baptism next week. But I want to close with this. That God has given you this beautiful picture of baptism, like the rainbow in the heavens, to remind you that there are consequences to your sin, but Jesus has taken them from you. To remind you of the covenant of peace that Jesus has made with you and to remind you of his cross where Jesus gave his life for you. And so we're going to pray and we're going to worship as we do every Sunday. The Lord's Supper is going to be available here, the bread and the cup, that, that physical reminder that you can taste the bread and the cup and remember Christ's sacrifice for you. But I want you also, if you are here and you have not yet put your trust in Jesus, this is the time to reckon with God, to go before him, to do business with the Lord and to tell him why you've not put your faith in him or or to ask him to give you courage to put your faith in him or whatever else it may be. But now is the time to not just go from here and forget these things, but remember now in this point that you have an opportunity. And if you're here and you've put your faith in Jesus, but you have not yet taken that step of baptism, then now is the time. Tomorrow, or or rather next week, will be the day. But today can be the day that you make that decision to decide for yourself, yes, next week it's going to happen. I am going to come. I am going to be baptized. And we'll celebrate not only then, but now. Because church, God has given you peace. Peace with him, peace with one another because of what Jesus has accomplished for us on the cross. Let's pray together. Jesus, I pray right now that you would stir up in our hearts these things. Lord, that you wouldn't let us leave here without doing business with you and and making that commitment. Lord, whether it's to believe for the first time, to be baptized next week, Lord, but I pray that we would leave here believing, leave here rejoicing. Lord, stir up in us, manifest your peace to us in this place that you have purchased for your people by your blood. Set us free from our sins. Set us free from our shame. Make us alive again with love and joy and the peace that comes, the peace that surpasses all understanding. That even though there may be war in our lives, conflict, the peace that you give surpasses understanding because it's not based in our circumstances, God. So stir us up with peace. Stir us up with celebration in this place, God. Stir us up with joy. And as we sing, Lord, we pray that you would be magnified. God, that your beautiful glory but the value, the treasure that you are would be put on full display in this place as we sing because you are worthy. Be magnified in this place. Be magnified in our hearts. Lord, give us a bigger picture of who you are. Remind us now what you've done. In Jesus' name.
Amen.